All right, good morning again. Welcome to H2O Church. Welcome to our Akron venue, uh, following us on video. So great to be with you as you're uh, going through this series on the book of Colossians. If you want to turn to chapter 2, you can. There's some Bibles there in front of you. Those are free gifts to you if you'd like to take one of those home. And uh, today, we're going to be talking about how searching for rules to bring relationship is a dead end for us. Uh, a lot of times in our Christian faith, we can get overly focused on the do's and the don'ts and how to do church perfectly and all the rules and the regulations and all these procedures. And we can miss the most important thing about Christianity is that God wants a loving relationship with each of us. And that's really the topic of this uh, section that we're going to be in in Colossians chapter 2. Uh, verses 16 through 23. So here's the big idea for this morning. We always do this because we kind of want you to know like, okay, what are we talking about today? And if you were to remember one thing, here's the big idea. Enjoying a relationship with Christ is about love and freedom. It is more than just a focus on specific rules. I so much appreciate uh, Fani sharing his story because it fits in so beautifully with this passage of Scripture is that we really want to be pressing into you and encouraging you, what is your relationship with God like? What's it been like this last week and these, these last months? And do you know that He loves you? And do you love Him back? And is there freedom in that relationship? Or can you get distracted by the rules and the details of it? Because that's what these Colossian people were being distracted by. So why don't we pray and ask God to speak to us through His Scriptures. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be together, Lord, to fellowship, to sing to you, and to learn about you. God, we're so grateful for your word. Lord, it leads us into all truth, and uh, we're just so grateful that you've paved the way for this relationship. God, even though we're broken and, and we come with uh, so many mistakes, Lord, and, and so many uh, shortcomings, Lord, you've taken them all away through Jesus. And you want us to just enter into your presence, Lord. You're here. You're everywhere. You're in our, our midst right now, Lord. But we can come into your presence in a spiritual way through Christ. And we ask that we would do that. We ask that you would speak to each of our hearts through your spirit individually. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, before we jump into this uh, passage, I was thinking about recently when Mary Lynn and I had some parent-teacher conferences for our children. We have three kids, and you know how these work. You get to go and visit with the teacher, and they get to give you a report of how your kids are doing, and it was really encouraging. They gave a great report about our kids and how they're doing in school, and that's all fantastic. And at this one Mary Lynn was at, I wasn't there, the math teacher told Mary Lynn, hey, by the way, You'll want to make sure you know how we're doing math because sometimes you're guiding them into these uh, math questions not the way that we're doing it at, in, our, in our class. And so I'm the one that helps the children with math at home. And so I was hearing this, and of course I love our kids' teachers and they're fantastic and everything, um, and we really appreciate them. So Mary Lynn comes home and she says, hey, by the way, some of the math things that you're doing with our daughter aren't the right way. And Bella says, yeah, dad, I told you. And I'm like, excuse me? I got really bent out of shape. I'm like, I have a bachelor's degree in chemistry. I have a bachelor's degree in education. I graduated from the Bowling Green State University. I know how to do math. And I love math. 
but she was kind of guiding us through of like, man, I'm doing like the old school math. And even though I was getting the right answers, they were being graded on these different procedures on how to do it. And in my pride, I'm like, I'm doing it the right way, okay? The old school's the right way. But anyway, we got that settled and we got that resolved. I don't help her with math anymore. <laughs> anyway, the process was the conflict to get to the right answer. And I was getting the right answers, by the way. But the answer for us, the goal is Christ. That is why we come here and sing. That is why we come here and gather and fellowship. We believe that the right answer is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But we recognize that lots of us come with different practices, different procedures or different steps, different rules, different regulations, all these different people in this church, all these different churches trying to come to Jesus who's the answer. But these rules and these regulations can actually be different and cause conflict. And that's what was actually happening here in this church. And that is what Paul is addressing. He's saying, don't get distracted by the rules when we are going toward the same uh, destination of a relationship with Christ. So let's dive in here and see what he's saying. This is kind of a longer passage, uh, 16 through 23. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll come back and break it into two parts. But here we go. Verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual minds. They have lost connection with the head. That's talking about Jesus from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Continuing on in verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So what Paul is saying here is that obeying the rules is good, but obeying the rules can take you way too far. And if we start beginning to obey rules that are outside of Scripture, beyond what the Bible takes us, because they're human rules, human conditions, they're going to start making us prideful, and we're going to be more focused on how great we are because we're obeying this set of rules that we've set up, and we're not coming to the Scriptures with humility and humility before God, knowing that the only way we can approach Him is by His grace and his knowledge, and his truth. And so this is a, a teaching that's talking about this relationship with God, but keeping in balance the truth, because we do value the truth. But we don't want to start debating on all the different things that we could fight about 
in the church. And that's what they were doing. They were fighting and there was tension. Look at all these little details. I'm going to reread the first passage here. We're going to get in a little bit more focus in verses 16 through 19. And listen to how many different things they were arguing about. He says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Okay, let's pause right there. These people were committing their lives to Christ. They were young Christians. Other people were coming in and judging them, saying, you're not a super Christian. You're not really, really spiritual because you're not eating the right things. They were sacrificing, these other people were sacrificing these animals to their idols, to these false gods. And when they were done with some of these animals, they would take them to market and sell them for meat. And they were debating, as a Christian, should I buy that meat and eat that? Or should we pass on that because this was sacrificed to an idol? And whether that was right or wrong, they debate that some in the book of Acts, it was actually causing division and a fight. Paul's like, this is not good. You're being judged by what you're eating and what you're drinking. People were debating over festivals, new moon celebrations. What day is the Sabbath? what we should do on the Sabbath. All these different holidays and calendar events they were debating over. And he says, these are a shadow. These aren't the substance. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're sharing their own stories with pride. They're puffed up with idle notions of their unspiritual minds. They have lost connection with the head. That's Jesus. From whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So there's got to be this focus on Christ. And that's what this whole book has been about. And if you feel that that's redundant, that's good. Because that's what we wanted to just hammer home through this book of Colossians. That it's all about the supremacy of Jesus and your relationship with him. And even though we should hold on to some of these truths and some of these things are important, they need to be held in tension and in balance and not putting our self-made religion above that. So this self-made religion, which some of these people were trying to heap on the Colossians, was referred to as the shadow. If you think of a, a thing of, of substance, Christ, and it's casting this shadow, what is the shadow? There's nothing there. It's just, it's nothing. There's no substance to it. But yet these people were hanging on to it. They're trying to hang on to the details of the rules to give them some kind of self-motivation or self-pride. But he's saying, no, Christ has brought us freedom. This Christ-made freedom is what we had, what should be focusing on. Which brings us to this, this point of legalism. Okay, What is legalism? Maybe you've heard this word before. Maybe some of you are sitting here and you think, this is a new word to me. I don't know what this is. But in the Christian well, it's like, oh, well, we don't want to be legalistic. And what this really means is what legalism is, is this man-made religion that brings rules and formulas to earn favor with God that often goes beyond Scripture. So what legalism is, this is a, that's a really great definition of it, is we want to focus on the truth of the Scripture. That's our truth. 
That H2O is the source of what we hang on to. If you were to look at our statement of faith, which we believe are the foundational truths of Christianity, that's what we hold on to as our principles that we get really passionate about. That's the foundation and and the gospel. All these other things that are preferences of all kinds of things. There's a a list of a thousand things, how we're going to dress on Sunday, what kind of music we should do, what colors the carpet, what what types of missions are we going to do. All these different details in the church, which we call our preferences, are really just about what you and I want, not the scriptures. And if we make that into a rule, we make that into a dogmatic formula so that God will love us more, or that we will be more acceptable to God, then we are getting off track like these people. You know, we're getting ready to have an election here on Tuesday. There's so much negativity in the debate over, um, over the, the political realm. You guys probably are familiar with that, maybe too familiar with that. And there's this phrase that I've heard over and over again in the political world that you can't legislate morality. Have you heard that phrase before? And I know the heart of that. I'm not even sure if I believe that phrase, okay? But really the heart of that phrase kind of builds into what we're talking about today is should we have laws in our country that make the people do what they should do? You know, should we pass laws that are of God so that we can force the people or at least encourage them to do what God wants? And other people say, no, you can't manhandle people that way. And what this phrase really means is if you come up with a thousand laws, that isn't going to change the heart of man. They will still find a way to break the law or to sin or to break God's law. And and really what I want to focus in on here is if you see the negativity that can exist in our country, to realize that that can happen in the church. The negativity and the tension and the fighting over things that aren't as important as the gospel. And one of the things that I really love about H2O, and I want to cast some vision for this, of how we try to operate. And I know that we don't have it all together and we don't have all the answers. But one of the things that we're passionate about is focusing on the gospel. And if you were to see behind the scenes on how H2O functions and how our our network of churches trying to get all these pastors and all these staff on the same page so that we can win the, the battle so that we can win in this mission, okay, you got to set some preferences aside to win as a team, right? And you would love that behind the scenes, we don't spend weeks and months debating things. We don't have fights over, you know, minimal things like these Colossians were doing. No one can come in and judge and say, oh, you're not doing this right, which, which we've had in the past. And we say, maybe we are doing it wrong in this area. But we humbly come before God and we say, we're not going to sit for months and months and argue over things when people in the world are lost and we need to love them. We're going to spend most of our conversation and most of our time and most of our focus on loving God and loving people and getting the gospel out. And I love that. I love that about our church. And I'm not saying that we do that well perfectly, but it's something that we talk about and we desire to stay focused on the majors and to let go of the minor things. 
And you know, I always love talking about sports analogies because I really enjoy sports. And when I think about our team at H2O and I think about our network, I think about how important it is to work together as a team. And some of the greatest basketball coaches that have been out there, they're great, not just because of their knowledge of the basketball game, but because they know how to keep a team together. Imagine all the egos on a team, right? And everybody wants their way. And you can get division, and that's going to make you start losing games, and we want to win. And I loved reading about Dean Smith. He was one of the greatest University of North Carolina basketball coaches. He's retired now, but he went to 11 Final Fours. He won multiple championships. He was one of the greatest coaches. At one time, he was the most winningest coach in college uh, basketball, and he says this, if you treat every situation as a life or death matter, you'll die a lot of times. I love that. He's saying on a team, on a basketball team, you can't treat every difference and every situation in your life as life or death because you're just going to devour each other. You will, you will turn on each other. And it's sad to see many churches get bogged down and turn against each other and split over minor issues that they can't agree on. And so we want to bring it back to the focus, the, the, the big idea, the, the, the whole gospel of what we sing about and what we talk about all the time that is represented so well in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, so that no one can boast. We should know this verse. We should memorize this verse. This is a verse that should be on our lips all the time with the people around us. We bring nothing to God but our brokenness. And when we accept him by faith, we receive a gift. And that should be extremely humbling to every one of us. There's no room for us to boast about ourselves and how great we are, like these people were. They're like, well, we're doing all the right celebrations. We're doing Sabbath just right. And you're not good enough as we are because you're not doing it this way. That is prideful and puffed up. And Ephesians tell us we come with humility. We come with no boasting in our lives because the hero is Jesus. And we're all trying to figure out how to walk with him as best we can. And this is what Paul brings them back to. This is our second section, starting in verse 20. Paul's like, let me recast the vision to you about what the gospel is. And he says this, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You know, he mentions in here this severe practice of Harm to the body. And I want to focus in on that for a moment. He's saying, when you have received Jesus into your life, the Bible says that we died spiritually with Christ. We no longer live. 
but Christ lives in us. That's how we come and we become a Christian. As we say, I couldn't do this, okay? Me, my life in the flesh, that's dead. The only life I have, Jesus, is in you. And that's what he says, we died with Christ. And what they were trying to do is to continue to put these rules and regulations on themselves, even hurting their body to try to earn some satisfaction with God. And you know, when you talk about um, the Desert Fathers, um, you know, when we went to, many of us together were going to seminary, we would read about the Desert Fathers. If you haven't read anything from the Desert Fathers, I encourage you to do that. These were great men that had an incredible passion for God. They lived centuries ago. They would go out to the desert. They would live in isolation. They would be really what we would, would consider very extreme because they've just sought holiness so much, and there was a lot of good in that. But they would take it too far at times. And some of these stories you would read is they would just, just sleep on stone for long periods of time till their bodies hurt so that they could earn some more favor with God. And they, you know, believed in fasting, but they would fast in extreme ways and be hungry. They would live in cold environments. They would take vows of silence, vows of poverty, restrictive things in marriage, and even to the point of doing penance, they would whip themselves to bring bodily harm so that they might be a little bit more close to God and more acceptable to God. And this asceticism that they lived in is described as this, severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. And even though the Desert Fathers have so many beautiful things to offer us, they also show us this self-punishment and this self-regulation that can come into our lives. Now, none of us hopefully have harmed ourselves or whipped ourselves, although I know sometimes people cut and do self-harm to try to just feel something. We would all agree that that isn't good. But here's what I want to ask you this morning. Do you still bring punishment to yourself in other ways when you aren't measuring up with Christ? You know, ponder that for a moment. You know, what do you feel when you're not walking with God? If you sin, if you're not reading your Bible, you're not doing the things that you should do, do you start to feel less value? Do you start to feel like, man, maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe I need to punish myself. I need to do some penance. I need to really put myself in the vice here so that I might be more acceptable to God. And if you ever feel that way, you're not much different than these people because that's what they were doing to each other. And you see, we, we need to be able to come to God at all times and know our value is in Him loving us. His acceptance is through Him. And you and I do, don't go through this roller coaster of life of if I'm performing well, God's smiling at me. And if I'm not performing well and I'm in the valley, I need to beat myself up so that God will love me again. That is heretical. That is wrong. And that is not what God wants for you. He wants freedom for you. 
He wants you to really understand unconditional love and grace. So here's this important clarification about this freedom in Christ that you and I have through the cross. Your spiritual standing is solid in Christ through faith. Because we have an ongoing forgiveness, we live like Christ as a thank you response and not as a love me plea. That's a really important thing for you to let settle into your heart is yes, we're free in Christ. And that's an amazing, unconditional thing that we are sealed with him until the day we die. But that doesn't give us a license to sin. It doesn't allow us to justify sin because if you really understand how much God loves you, you're free to be who he wants you to be. You're going to want to be just like Jesus as a thank you. It's going to well up in you so much. You're like, man, I love Jesus and he loves me. I want to be just like you, Jesus, as a thank you response. But any of this kind of earning or like, I want to do this right so that he'll love me, this, this begging of God to accept us is not part of the gospel. And as we wrap this up here soon, this is such an important point for us in, in this church. And here's, here's another application for this. Is that same punishment that we can put on ourselves, we can put toward each other. You know, these people were judging each other, right? And they're like, I'm a super Christian and you're not. I'm better than you and so you should get it together. That kind of mentality in the church kills our desire for leadership development. One of the things that we're so passionate about that we want to keep reaching this city and reaching the campus and planting more churches and raising up more leaders is that we believe that God is living in you and put it inside of you to be a Christian leader. Every one of you. That's what we pray and that's what we desire for you. But we know that when you step forward in leadership, you start having this list of things that you're not doing in your mind. And if I said to you, would you lead a Bible study? Would you step out in faith? Would you start teaching? Would you get up here and play music? Would you help us do this mission? You're going to start thinking about all the reasons why you can't do that. And it hurts us. It hurts leadership development. And we don't want to turn on each other. We want to push each other forward. Because we understand that target, that pressure that comes on a Christian leader. And Brian and I would say this every week and all of our teachers, we don't have it together. We brag on our weaknesses because it isn't about us. It's about what God is doing through us. And we need more leaders. We need more people to step up. But we can't have this unhealthy judgment on each other because some of us are great Christians and some of us are not. We're all broken and we're trying to seek the truth together and be filled by his spirit to do something great together. Our pastors in training are reading a book together about leading with weakness. It's called Leading with a Limp by Dr. Dan Allender. And he says this. I thought it was such a great quote. We expect a leader to make tough decisions to fire his close friend if necessary, or to send troops into harm's way. Yet we want him to tear up over a sad story and be sentimental on Mother's Day. 
What we want is an illusion and we know it. We prefer the illusion because we have a deep need to be buffered from reality. Setting up a leader to be our big daddy, our bright and shining knight, our perfect mother who will get up in the middle of the night and hold us until we feel safe makes leadership a nightmare that we inflict on a few while we comfort ourselves that we don't have the right stuff to pull it off. Isn't that an amazing quote of how we can build up expectations for what these leaders should be, these perfect people, and then we say, well, I'm not, I don't want that. I can't do that. But that's an unhealthy expectation on leaders, and we don't have that expectation on you, and we hope that you don't have it with each other. We all can step into this with our hurt and our struggles, and we're learning the scriptures together to influence people. And you know, people get caught up in this. They get caught up in the rules too much. You know in the Old Testament, there was 613 rules? 613 laws that the Jewish people had to obey. That's overwhelming, isn't it? The Ten Commandments with Moses whittled that down to ten. If you were to talk of the law, they might talk about the 613, but then with Moses, there's ten. Micah, they asked Micah, what does it mean to, to, to be with God? He narrowed it down to three. He said, seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's a pretty good set too, isn't it? Well, they were still talking about this when Jesus walked the earth. And someone came to Jesus and said, teacher, summarize this for us. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied with two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Isn't that simplicity beautiful? And that's, that's what we're going to pray for right now. That's what we close with. Are you and I loving God with all of our hearts? No one else can really see that in your life. Maybe here and there some fruit, but how is your relationship with God? And if you're loving God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength, you are a super Christian because that's really what it's about. And if you are truly loving the people around you so well, forgiving them, helping them, praying for them, bringing them to Jesus, then you're getting it done. And that should be our focus. Are we loving God? Is, is that really something very important to us every day and loving each other? That's the simplicity of the gospel. Let's pray and ask God to do that in our lives and in our church.